trying to escape from Afghanistan after the country's fall to the Taliban. These Islamic extremists who have now taken Afghanistan back by force have a history of brutality, including beheadings and public executions. Time is short and the need is urgent. And that's why I'm calling for a day of prayer this Sunday, August 22nd. The Taliban is blocking access to airport, to the airport and all exit routes. This is a life or death situation for Christians and other religious minorities and all those who worked with or for America over the past two decades. There is no hope for these people to get out safely apart from a miracle from the hand of God. And that's what we need to pray for. It's a difficult and tragic situation. Will you please join me in praying for God to intervene in a mighty way? Our dear Father, um, we, we know that uh, you're a, a, a good and gracious Father, uh, that you're kind and caring, and that you, uh, your heart breaks when you see the evil that is playing out uh, on the other side of the world at this moment in time. Lord, we pray for all those, um, uh, all the people from other countries and nations that are in Afghanistan trying to escape, especially our American brothers and sisters. Um, we also pray for the Afghanis, the Afghani people, and the oppression that they uh, will come to experience, that they did experience before we intervened in their country. Uh, we pray for the friends uh, the, from other countries, the Canadians, and the, uh, particularly the British that are over there that are trying to get their people out. Um, we pray for people of all religions there that aren't uh, Islamic and who are in uh, targeted for oppression, uh, Jews and other religions, and particularly we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ um, who's... Uh, are targeted for great hostility by the Taliban. Um, we know that there, there's a very high cost for following Christ in places like this around the world, and particularly now in, in Afghanistan. We know that the Taliban has a hit list of non-Christians, um, missionaries, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we know that they're going door to door and um, looking for uh, believers who have Bibles, people that, um, that have even Bible applications on their phones. And uh, we know that they're targeting men, women, and children. They're, uh, we know the terror of those, uh, those believers, those brothers and sisters of ours uh, who are hiding, who are, uh, we can only imagine what's going through their minds and hearts. Uh, we know they trust you, but we know that there's still great fear and, and great tribulation that they're facing. And uh, our hearts break for the suffering of the little ones, but in particular uh, the women and the young girls who are being um, uh, kidnapped and uh, captured and uh, abused and sold into sexual slavery. We know that uh, uh, believers are being tortured and beaten, burned, beheaded uh, for their faithfulness. But, Lord, we, we commend them into your tender care, and we ask you to strengthen them, to encourage them, to provide for their needs, uh, to make them invisible, Lord, to the Taliban and help them to escape this, this uh, great tribulation that's fallen on them. Um, Lord, we, 
we know that the Taliban has, has captured uh, weapons. We know that they're an oppressive, uh, extreme group. And uh, we know that they export terror to the rest of the world. We know what great damage they can do. And uh, we know that the fall uh, of our influence in that country is encouraging our enemies. And um, Lord, we pray that um, uh, it w we're not sure how to pray for this, but we pray for the Taliban, Lord. We know that they live in great darkness. And we ask that you use this moment in time, uh, that they may, some of them at least, be brought into your, your, your wonderful light, Lord. Maybe they'll discover a Bible and read it um, and come to uh, meet Isa, Jesus, face to face through your word, Lord, or through their encounters with the people they're persecuting. Um, Lord, like, like with the in the case of Joseph, we know that you can take evil and turn it into good. So we pray that you would do that. Lord, we pray for the um, uh our troops that have fought there, our troops that are there now, we pray that you would protect them. We pray for those that have served over there and, and the great distress with which they're watching these events unfold. Uh, the contractors, the, um, we pray for the families of these people, Lord, that have lost their lives over there and who, who are looking at this situation with great grief and sadness and wondering whether it was worth it. Lord, we pray for our, our President Biden, that you would give him wisdom. Uh, we pray for all our government, that you would um, lead them in your way and in your will and, and, and help them to have courage and understanding. And um, Lord, like Je Jehoshaphat, uh, when the Moabites and Ammonites were surrounding Judah and getting ready to attack, they uh, Jehoshaphat looked to you, Lord, and, and, and prayed and said, um, we, know not what, we know not what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. And so, uh, Lord, we know not what to do, but our eyes look to you in this situation. Um, and we continue to pray to you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. And, Thank you. Uh, remain standing as we continue to worship the Lord.
would solve the problems of this world in just one instant of time is if we heard the trumpet sound and the Lord Jesus saying, come up hither. Wouldn't that be great? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you. you may be seated. Thank you, praise team. Appreciate uh, that so very much. <clears throat> and uh, adults, open up your Bible to the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. And boys and girls, before we dismiss you to class, I want to I have a little minute message with you. So if you are a boy or girl in First Baptist Church, would you raise your hand so I know where you are? I'm, I'm in First Baptist Church today, right down here, over here, over here, over there. Okay, anybody else? Any boys and girls? Anybody else? All right, listen up closely, boys and girls. Here's something for you to learn. Girls and boys, how many of you, how many of you have ever gotten water out of a well with a bucket? How many of you have ever gotten water out? I don't mean turn the handle. I mean you get a bucket and you go down in a well and you get, how many of you have ever done that? How many of you adults have ever done that? Yeah. How many of you have used the dipper that every time Dick and Harry used also? It was hanging there, by the way. Yeah. That was pre-COVID. That's why nobody got it back then, because they all passed around all the antibodies or whatever. So, okay, boys and girls, so I don't know that any of you have ever done that, but what, what we used to do, and, and what I used to do when I went to my grandma and granddad's house, is they would have a well on their back porch, and we had a bucket on a rope, and you would let it down, and it had to hit just right, or it would just float at the bottom, and then it would, when you got it full of water, you'd pull it back up. Well, let me tell you a story about two different buckets. One of the buckets was always, always happy. And he was always happy because he was full so much of the time. He he would come up and he would just be running over with water and he was splishing and splashing and he was so happy. But the other one was so sad and grumpy because all the time, every time he went down into the well, he was empty. There was just nothing. He was absolutely empty. Well, the fact is, both of them were full at some times, and both of them were empty at other times. But one was positive about his situation, and the other one was negative about his. In the book of Philippians in the Bible, it says to tell us, it tells us to think like this. If there's anything excellent or really good about something, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. So boys and girls, we need to think about things in a good way. We need to be positive, not negative. We need to have smiles and not frowns. We need to see the bright side and not the dark side. Two people look at a sunset. One of them says, ah, that's so bright, I can't stand it, and it's so hot, I can't wait till it cools off. The other one says, wow, look what God did. Look at the artistry. Look at what the beautiful sunset he made. Two people look at the ocean. One of them says, oh, sand gets everywhere. It gets in my clothes. It gets in my shoes. It gets in my hair. It gets in my eyes. And there's seaweed out there, yucky seaweed. And the other one says, look at how beautiful the waves are. Look at that. That's amazing how they crash and look so beautiful. Two people look at life. One of them sees all the troubles. And boys and girls, I'm not going to lie to you. There's going to be some troubles because everybody has troubles from time to time. But the other one looks at the same life and says, you know what? I'm so blessed of God. God is so good to me. It's amazing. So boys and girls, which bucket are you? Are you the one that's happy? Are you the one that's sad? I hope you choose to look for the good in any situation instead of looking for the bad 
in every situation. One more verse. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah said this. I will set my eyes upon them for good. I will build them up, not tear them down. God says he wants to build you up. He wants to encourage you, not tear you down. So turn to him. Learn to look at things the way that he wants you to look at things. Look for the good, the positive, and the blessing, not the bad and the negative and the problems. You'll be much happier if you do. So I thought, now how can I get you boys and girls to remember this lesson about the two buckets? So I decided, actually Mrs. Miss Pat said, we're going to go get something for the boys and girls. So we got a bucket. Now it's empty right now, but I want you to fill it up. And it's even got some little tools here. I kind of hope there's one left over because I want to fool with that myself. I can become the new sandcastle man out here at Coronado. So, so boys and girls, uh, as you go to your class, up to the first grade right here and second grade through fifth grade right over here, stop by and see Miss Pat, and she'll give you your very own bucket. And if she's got enough, she'll give you whatever color you want, okay? So come on, boys and girls. Come on and get your bucket. All right. Be a happy bucket, not a sad bucket. Well, you got to chase her down. She's moving. I know how that is. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about when I proposed to her and it took her three days to give me an answer? <laughs> All right. There we go. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Ephesians chapter 5, please. Ephesians chapter 5. And let me read something. I want Pat to be in on this. I want her to hear this. So I'm going to wait on that a little bit. Let me give you a disclaimer, okay? Ephesians chapter 5. We've been in the book of Jonah for like six weeks, and it was uh, expositional. It was, uh, re- it was moving verse by verse. I don't know that I commented on every single ber- verse, but I went through that, and, uh, and we studied the whole book of Jonah in that way. Uh, this is going to be topical. So those of you that just don't like topical messages, uh, tough. That's uh, what it's going to be. But we start out in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And a lot of times when people read the... The passage in Ephesians chapter 5, they start in verse 22. But here's what verse 21 says, okay? Paul, speaking to the church at Ephesus, submit one to another. Submit one to another. He's talking about husbands and wives. Submit one to another. You know, the truth of the matter is, I don't belong to myself. I belong to God first. And I belong to the lady in the polka dots right down here next. And she belongs to God, and she belongs to me. She's my wife. And so we're to submit to one another. It means to place oneself under. And the importance of, of Paul, the whole concept of submission is evident from the use of the word uh, submit because it's found 20 times in his letters, the word submit or submission. And he applies this to special instances in the next section we're going to read in a moment. But right here, it's a general application. Husbands and wives submit to one another. There is a mutual submission that uh, is taught right here in verse 21. There, there must be a willingness for the Christian uh, to, to serve any or to learn from any or to be corrected by any regardless of age sex, class, or whatever division, uh, we are to be mutually building up each other, and, and there is a mutual submission that is to take place. Uh, but what follows verse 21, and specifically in the marriage relationship of husband and wife submitting to each other, is the idea of the order in the home now. And if you get mad if I read verse 22, ladies, take it up with the author. Uh, 
Paul, but actually it's God who's the author. He says, for wives, this means to submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. <clears throat> I just had a wedding yesterday, and I, I, I said those, that very verse, and <clears throat> I looked at the bride, and I said, can you believe that that's what God says? You're to submit to that guy as unto the Lord? Are you kidding me? He's just a guy. He's just a man, and that's the fact. But there is this idea of order in the home, and God has set it up that way uh, so that we're to, we're to have some structure and, and order in, in the home. And it says, here's the reason, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body and uh, as the church. So the husband is made responsible for the order of the home, for the unity of the home, for the leadership in the home. And as the church submits, verse 24, to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. Now look, uh, the, the wife is to regard her husband, submit to him as unto the Lord, as she would to the Lord himself. But look what the husband is supposed to do. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, and he gave his life for it. So guys, if I understand this correctly, then we're to love our wives enough that if it's necessary, we would die for her. We would absolutely take a bullet for her. We would absolutely do whatever it was if it came down to either or. I, I, and, and I can't remember what year now, but uh, in the, I think it was in the 80s when the McDonald massacre took place down in San Ysidro. How many of you remember that? Uh, we were having church on a Wednesday night. I heard the sirens, uh, and we immediate, when we got through, we found out what was going on. And so I took a couple of my other staff pastors with me. We went down to, there, to, to the site. <clears throat> it was in the gymnasium. And families had gathered knowing that their family member was not around and hadn't been home and trying to figure it out. We tried to give comfort and tried to give encouragement. Uh, but they would come out and they would read two or three names at a time. And, and the people would start wailing and crying. And and, uh, and just a terrible thing. And, and, and the, what unfolded in that event was a man went into the McDonald's and began shooting randomly men, women, children. didn't matter. Anybody. From that day to this, when we go into a restaurant, when we go in specifically to a fast food restaurant, <laughs> I want to have a, a seat facing the doors, and I want to, and I, I sometimes even tell Pat, if somebody comes in that door shooting, you go that way, out the other door. Well, what, she said, what are you going to do? You just go the other way. You get out. If they come in that door, you go out that door. So we have to be vigilant. We have to be uh, we have to be responsible. We have to be willing, guys, to, to die for our wives if necessary. And then, to me, it only makes sense if you're willing to die for her sincerely, then you ought to be willing to live for her. Doesn't that make sense? If you're willing to die for someone, you love them that much, then wouldn't you be willing to live for them, to make them the most important person in the whole world? So the husband's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. As the church submits to Christ, wives submit to the husbands, but husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But instead, she should be holy and without fault. In this way, husbands are to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Guys, you're to love your wife as much as you love yourself, more than you love yourself. And self-preservation, they say, is one of the strongest drives that we have. So if you would do whatever you have to do to survive in, a, in some kind of a catastrophic situation, 
You're to do the same for your wife. You love her as you love your own life. For a man who loves his life actually shows love for himself. No one ever yet hates his own body, but rather nourishes it and cares for it as Christ does the church. And we're members of his body. It's not a natural thing to want to do injury to our bodies. The natural thing is to want to preserve life and to keep ourselves safe and in situations that are dangerous to to try to uh, get through that situation and remain intact. And so that's the way you're to, you're to take care of your wife also. Uh, and the scriptures say a man leaves his father and mother and is joined unto the wife, and the two are united into one. Then he says, this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So our marriage is actually a picture of Christ's relationship to his bride, the church. So when I stood at that altar and Pat stood at that altar... When I saw her coming down uh, that aisle after I recovered from fainting, and uh, <laughs> no, I, but I, my mouth dropped open. It's like, wow. And, and so I, I, I made a covenant with her. I didn't make a promise. I made a covenant. I, di I didn't make a contract. I made a covenant with her. And a covenant's different because a covenant involves God. So it's a three-way deal, see? It's God, my wife, and I are making these commitments to each other in a covenant relationship. And covenants with God, by the way, were not to be broken. So it was for better or for worse, in sickness and in death, and that doesn't mean until she shoots me. That means it just keeps on keeping on, keep on going. So, so here, we're, we're to love our wives and we love ourselves. We're, we're, to, uh, we're to do whatever we can. Uh, for them, guys, we're to take the responsibility for them. And, and there's nothing in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, that wouldn't, uh, wouldn't greatly improve the situations in homes in America. On August the 19th of 2018, I preached a message with almost the same title, but it wasn't the same message at all. I'm very much concerned with the demise of the American family. And I found in, in, a, in a class I took this last week, I found some statistics that were from 1977. I'm sure they're worse now. I'm sure they are. But here's what the statistics were in 1977. 24% of marriages have spouses who batter each other. That's not me. She beats me. I don't beat her back. 35% of all women have been battered. That is, that's a, uh, an, I don't know. It's just a crazy statistic. 40% of pregnant women have been battered. 50% of people with eating disorders have a past history of abuse. 55% of all family violence occurs in alcoholic homes. 80% of people with borderline personality disorder have a history of child abuse. 80% of people with sexual addictions come from alcoholic homes. 80% of all people with multiple personality disorder have a history of child abuse. 30% of men, 35% of women have been sexually abused. Over 50% of all marriages end in divorce. And unfortunately, that statistic is true for Christians as well as for non-Christians. So what can stem the tide? What is it that we can do? So that, that's the, the, the title, How to Fight Fairly. I hope you realize I'm not meaning physically fighting, okay? I'm not at all. I don't, I, I'm not for that. I'm into conflict resolution in the home uh, and that those resolutions consistent with biblical teaching and with the text in Ephesians chapter 5. And I think that the environment in which we live 
with the COVID and with the uh, isolation and with the uh, upheaval financially, job-wise, uh, school-wise, all of this has, has worked together to make uh, an incredibly bad and dangerous situation for homes that were already prone to abusive relationships. Um, <clears throat> I had a sociologist, psychiatrist, some kind of an ologist uh, this last week say, <clears throat> he says, you wait, he said, five years from now, um, the number of suicides is going to be so much greater because of what's going on and what has gone on in the last couple of years. During this time, more children have been abused, more wives have been abused, more people have had mental health problems, more are affected with depression. There have been more and more disagreements in the home. And too many homes break up because of irreconcilable differences. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. Where Christ is involved, <clears throat> there are no irreconcilable differences. There aren't. <clears throat> differences arise between husbands and wives. That's, that's a fact. Between children and parents, between uh, brothers and sisters. I know that. Uh, but this, this message is going to major on the marriage relationship, but it can apply to many other different relationships as well. Here's a verse I want you to memorize. <clears throat> In Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. A soft word turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Now, here's some myths, okay? Here's some myths. Good marriages never have problems. Have you ever heard that one? Oh, if it's, you, just, you think someone has a perfect relationship. <clears throat> oh, who was I talking to? Uh, <clears throat> recently was talking to one of the, my pastor friends <clears throat> on the Internet. Uh, they had a couple in their church who... Uh, were the model couple. They never had any problems, people thought, and they wound up, uh, both of them deceased uh, in a violent way. <clears throat> and you, you wonder, what, what in the world? I thought good marriages never have problems. Good marriages and bad marriages will have problems. The solution is conflict resolution. <clears throat> love is not the absence of conflict, and conflict is not the absence of love. Here's another myth. Conflict is destructive to marriages. Not always. <clears throat> Sometimes a point of conflict <clears throat> is very profitable to a marriage. I, I distinctly remember when, uh, okay, my wife and I come from very different home backgrounds. <laughs> I, I, I have this in my imagination that her home was so quiet and everybody got along and nobody spoke above, you know, the tone I'm at, the volume I'm at right now and everything was just... And my family was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, just we were loud. And so I found out, and I remember she sat me down one day, and I said, uh-oh, this is going to be trouble. And you know, so she said, I need to, we need to talk. You guys know that phrase? We need to talk. It's like, yeah, got something else I need to do. No, we need to talk. Okay. And, and I found out that my volume was uh, a problem sometimes and uh, you're mad no i'm not mad what do you mean i'm mad i'm not mad what makes you think i'm mad no your volume your facial features your whatever and and so conflict can be creative and when when there's the opportunity to sit down and to look at each other in the eye and be honest and transparent and truthful there's a possibility for resolution but just burying problems doesn't make it possible for them to get solved. Here's another myth. Quality marriages happen for only a few fortunate couples. 
Well, I don't know if it's a myth or not. It doesn't have to be that way. I should say it this way. It doesn't have to be that way. Quality marriages can happen for people who are committed to each other and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. The grave of a dying relationship is dug by one shovel full at a time. So your choice is to grow up or blow up your family. (laughs) Grow up or blow up, one or the other. So another myth is everyone who is married fights all the time. No, not everyone who's married fights all the time. Uh, not Not everyone fights. I, we don't have fights. We never have fights. I mean, she does smack me a few th- every once in a while, but it's in. She says it's in fun. <laughs> Let me get back to you on that. Uh, okay, some myths. So, uh, what about reality? Every here's the problem. Here's a big problem. Everyone's looking for their rights. That's true in the family. It's true in our society. And I want my rights. I, it's right. I have a right to expect the house to be clean, says the husband. I have a right to expect help from my husband since we both work outside the home full time, says the wife. I have a right to promotion because I worked hard, says the employee. I have a right to be promoted before that other guy was promoted. That's not right. I have a right to intimate relations, says the spouse. I have a right to spend money as I see fit, says either the husband or the wife, depending. The Bible focuses on our responsibilities, not our rights. Our responsibilities, not our rights. A key word is submit. Again, we're to submit to God's word. In Leviticus twenty-two thirty-one. therefore shall you keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. If we kept God's commandments and if we loved God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we loved others as we love ourselves, and if we loved our wife the way the Bible tells us, guys, to love our wives, uh, we, we wouldn't have the problems that we have. We wouldn't be focused on our rights. What do you want? What can I do for you? It's not what can I do for me. So we're to submit to God's word. We're to submit to one another. And read that in Ephesians 5, 21. When disagreements turn into quarrels, it's probably because both parties have determined to have their own ways. Here's something you need to do. If you have a list of rights, okay, get get alone. Don't do it with the other spouse around. Get Get a piece of paper. Get a notebook if you need to. And write down your rights. Write them down. Write, I have a right to fill it in. I have a right to fill it in. I have a right to fill it. And then you know what you need to do with that? You need to pray over it, and then you need to burn it. (laughs) Get rid of it. Don't demand your rights. Fulfill your responsibilities. Submit to each other. But I'm right. That's a wrong way of thinking. I'm right. That's a wrong way of thinking. If you go home, later on today, you're on Interstate 5, and you're going southbound, and you're doing 65 miles an hour, first of all, you're going to get run over. (laughs) If you're doing 65 miles an hour going southbound on Interstate 5, and you look ahead, and you see a semi-truck coming northbound in your lane, are you going to say, well, buddy, I got the right of way. Or are you going to boogie as fast as you can and get out of the guy's way? I'm going to get out of his way if I possibly can. So right is not the thing. It's not, it's not what's right. It's what, what would God have us to do. How, we're to submit our commitments and, and our vows. We're, we're to submit to the counsel of godly friends. We're to submit uh, to professional counselors who give godly advice. Here's a good rule to follow. And it's an acrostic clasp. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave unto his wife, they shall be one flesh. The leave and cleave thing, okay? I'm going to leave, 
uh, mom and dad and join to my wife and we're going to establish our own home. Oddly enough, that's 1611, King James. <clears throat> Oddly enough, the word cleave in English now has evolved to means to cut, to divide. That's not what it means here. That's not what it meant here when it was written in 1611, when it was translated. Uh, in the Greek, it means to cling to, to stay with, to be joined together with. So we're to leave mom and dad and be joined together with our spouse. And here's, here's the rule to follow. C means calm down. When you get all worked up, you get emotional, anybody, when you get all emotional, you're not thinking straight, right? You're not thinking clearly. Don't let the emotions take over. Calm down. The old adage of counting to 10, that's a good thing. When you're talking with your wife, talking to your husband, and all of a sudden, you know, your, your, your carotid arteries start boom, 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 and you're, you're bright red, and you're, you know, you're starting to sweat uh, around your eyes, and I mean, you're, you say, just time out. I, give me, let me count to 10. Some of you, 20. Some of you, 150, whatever it takes. <laughs> Count, calm down. That's what the C stands. L, lower your voice. Volume is important. Volume is very important, isn't it, Pat? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. A, acknowledge your spouse's concerns. <clears throat> now, in order to acknowledge your spouse's concerns, you've got to listen to them, right? You've got to listen and think about and evaluate what they're saying. S, state your concerns then in non-inflammatory language. And P is propose a solution. Compromise is a bad thing when it comes to theological truth, but compromise can be a wonderful thing when it comes to husband and wife relationships. Number four, unfair fighting. Here's, here's, when you start doing these things, You've just stopped real communication from taking place, not listening to the other party, thinking. You know, if you were ever on a debate team, some, one of the principles you, did, you need to learn is, okay, what are their major pillars? And then you start knocking down their pillars when it's your turn to debate, right? And so, so if, you're, if you're thinking, okay, that's different, and you're figuring out what you're going to say next, you're not really listening with both ears. So you need to listen. Not listening to the other party stops communication. Giving up, no longer caring, stops any kind of positive movement, stops any kind of good communication. Being untruthful or lying stops any kind of communication. Not being transparent. Look, <clears throat> some, of us, some of us have been damaged and broken in the past, and we've put up walls, haven't we? We've insulated ourselves so that we won't be broken or hurt again, and we don't want people to know all of our faults and flaws and all. I understand all that, but when you marry someone, when you become one together, there ought to be a, the ability to be open. There ought to be the ability to be transparent. <clears throat> you ought to be able to Sit down with each other and talk about whatever it is that you need to talk about. <clears throat> and if you're not being transparent, if you're not being truthful, then that destroys that opportunity. Trusting friends or family more than your spouse. That's a, that's a bad thing. Yelling, calling each other names, being rude. It goes without saying, throwing things. I mean, you know, once you start doing that, you, you've destroyed any communication. Having it out in front of others, including your children. Don't do your children the disservice of watching you fight in front of them, watching you uh, lose it with your husband or your wife in front of them. 
escaping through television, work, hobbies, sports, shopping, silent treatment. I watched a video where a, 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 a policeman, uh, intense work, an intense day, and he goes home, and he's late getting home, and he sits out in front of the, the house, and, and he looks inside, and there his wife is, and there his children, his children are there, and, and he drives around the block, and he winds up driving around the block eight times before he can calm down and go in. <clears throat> Escaping uh, through... Hobbies through sports, through shopping, through silent treatment, through alcohol, through drugs. All of those things are, are deal breakers. Here's fair fighting. How about this one? Be willing to change yourself. I can't change her. She can't change me. But I can change me. I can change my attitudes. I can change my actions. I can change my responses. Choose a good time and a good place for a disagreement resolution away from the children and ideally away from the bedroom. Figure out a time and place. Mutually agree upon it. Set a reasonable time limit for that discussion. You may not get it all figured out right then. But maybe, maybe you say, you know, we're going to spend 30 minutes on this. And at the end of 30 minutes, if you followed the rules for fighting fairly... You may not have it solved yet, but you will have a better relationship as a result of that. You may have to come back and talk about it again. Agree on a specific problem and stick to it. You can't solve everything all at once. Take one at a time. Take the, the most important, the biggest point of issue and, and discuss it. Next thing, leave the past in the past. I swear, women, you women have memories like I can't believe you remember the time when you... No. <laughs> Leave the past to the past. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your focus on the problem, not on the symptoms. Focus on the problem. Why is that problem there? Not, not the way it evidences itself. Do your best not to, uh, to bicker or nag. Don't call each other names. Please don't call. Don't do that. Unless it's like honey bun. Sugar pie, sweetie, and I don't mean like honey. That's a different than honey. Yeah, okay, all right. Listen carefully. Don't just plan your next statement. Respect the other's feelings and perceptions because if their perception is something, then that becomes their reality. So you've got to help them understand what the reality is if it's different from that or try to explain yourself. At the time limit, try to reach your conclusion, even if it's to postpone the, the disagreement to another time. For, and then this is important. Forgive each other completely. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, don't, let, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. We have a habit of praying together every night. When we go to bed, we pray together every single night. Now I'm going to tell you a secret. You can't pray with someone if you're ticked at them or at least if you don't try to get it figured out. <laughs> Dear God, bless this woman. <laughs> what in the world's wrong with her? But Lord, you know what's wrong with her because you know all things. I pray you'd straighten her out for the glory of God. <laughs> You're going to wake up with bruises all over your body. 
Don't pray that way. I mean, you got to sincerely come to a point where you say, you know what? I love you. Forgive me. That's what you need to say. Forgive me. And at that point, when you pray together, God can do a miracle. God can do some incredible things. And, and this is an important thing, I think. Express affection after that. In Colossians 3, 12, since God shows you to be a holy people, he loves you, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. You know what? I'm not in any rush to get to heaven because I've got an incredible wife and we've got an incredible life. And it's because God is the foundation and God is the capstone and God is the cornerstone to our home. I've got so many flaws that if it weren't for God overruling them, it'd be a mess. But he's been incredible, and he'll be incredible for you if you will put into practice the things we talk about right here. Okay, the only real solution to never having disagreements is to die. <laughs> you go to heaven. That's the only, that's the only real solution. You're gonna have, you're gonna have little things. I don't care if you've been married, you know, six months or you've been married 60 years. Little things are going to come up. Get them resolved. Learn to resolve conflicts in a tender, respectful, and loving manner. And the benefits are abundant. But refusing to do so can be devastating. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take this, these words for whatever they're worth. Lord, your word is worth everything. But I pray that you would take these suggestions that are good and drive them into the hearts and homes of the people who are here and those who are online. The ideas and the suggestions that are not so good, Lord, just uh, help them to cast them aside. And Father, be the foundation of our homes at First Baptist Church. Be the capstone, the one who is sovereign, supreme over all, be the cornerstone, the one to whom our family and our home is devoted. Lord, help there to be a little heaven on earth when we walk into the doors of our houses. And not because it's, it's not the house, it's the home that lives in the house that can be such a blessing. God, help us to swallow our pride Lord, pride causes so many issues. Help us to turn it over to you, confess it to you, and ask your forgiveness. Make our homes a little bit of heaven on earth, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Would you stand? <clears throat> this is our invitation. <clears throat> if you'd like to come and have a word of prayer with my wife or myself, uh, guys, I'm up here. Ladies, my wife's right here. You come during the first of this invitation. We're not going to sing a long time, so we're going to, you know, you know, if God wants you to do something, you need to do it right now. If you need to receive Christ as your personal Savior, we'd love to show you how to do that.
take just a few minutes. We'd open up the Bible and show you how to become a child of God. So come in, in this invitational time. If, if you have questions about membership or baptism, whatever it is, as we sing this verse or two, you come ahead right now. ask you to do something. Would you bow your heads one more time? Every head bowed. If you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I, I, I don't know about my home. I, I just know my relationship with God is not right. I don't know what's going on. I'm not sure why it's not. Do you know for sure if you passed away, if you died today, that you'd be in heaven tonight? You can know that. The Bible tells us we've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. Every one of us are sinners. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again as a payment for our salvation. The Bible says that we're going to die one of these days and stand before God. But if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, God has raised us from, raised, God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And would you right now, heads bowed, would you just pray and ask the Lord to come to your heart? Would you pray something like this? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I need you in my heart and my life. I pray you'd forgive me of my sins. I pray you'd be my personal Savior. I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross. I believe he was buried and rose again after three days. And I believe you when you say that whosoever shall call upon your name shall be saved. So as best I know how, I put my faith and my trust completely in you for eternal salvation. 
God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me your child. With every head still bowed, every head still bowed so no one's embarrassed. If you just prayed that prayer right now, you meant it sincere as you know how to be. Would you slip your hand up, hold it up real high for just a moment? God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. God bless you. Are there others? Any, anyone else? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. Men as sincerely as I know how. Father, I thank you. Thank you that you're a loving God. Thank you that you're a forgiving God. Thank you you're a God of second chances, tenth chances, thousand chances. Thank you, Lord, you give us the opportunity to know you. Lord, I pray a special blessing over each family, over each home. From this moment on, Lord, from right now on, make our homes a place we want to go to, a place we want to come home to so that we can enjoy each other and the blessings of God upon our homes. Forgive us where we fail. Go with us this week. Help us be a testimony. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you richly. Thank you for being here today. On the back table... Right by the sound booth, there's some blue plastic bags. They have some literature and such in there. If you would like to take one of those, if you recently asked Christ to be your personal Savior, or maybe you did just a moment ago, then be sure to grab one of those, take it home with you. If you have any questions, let us know. Miss Pat, did you give out all the buckets? Anybody need it? If there's any boys and girls that didn't get a bucket and wants a bucket, these buckets don't have a hole in them. All right, come and get it. God bless you. Have a great day.